Hello, dearest patrons, the, the dearest tier of patrons, actually. Welcome to the Reading Club. Uh, thank you for joining us and thank you for the questions you've sent in. So today we're discussing uh, the Aaron Rice uh, discussions of the professional managerial class, uh, henceforth the PMC. Um, the reading that we're discussing specifically is a relatively short piece called The Death of a Yuppie Dream, which is published by the Rosa Luxemburg Foundation, um, which purports to look back at the Aaron Reich's original arguments advanced in the late 70s, uh, arguing that there was this new class called the PMC and that it had an ambiguous role in in the kind of in relation to the antagonism between labor and capital. Um, So we've chosen a very short piece this time, and it's also a lot uh, easier going than our previous two ones, uh, which were on uh, economic planning. Um, So it's it's good to have an easy one. But two, also, I think it's also one which allows us to um, develop some discussions that we've had a number of times on the podcast referring to the BMC, but without dealing with it deliberately. So that's hopefully what we're going to do here. Um, guys, what, you, you like this piece? Yeah, I thought it was fabulous, actually, and a real testament to what kind of um, excellent um, and old-fashioned social science is published in these kinds of working papers that often don't, that are um, you know, not published in journals, for instance, academic or specialist journals, um, but often are really excellent. They provide excellent overviews of particular domains and um, very useful primers on what people are thinking about at the moment. Yeah, it's quite in, it's interesting to read it back from from today to 2013. It it came out. Um, it's, it, obviously, this term has suddenly sprung up um, again in in the discourse, and <clears throat> I don't think it's always used in the most uh, precise or scientific ways. So yeah, definitely worth getting back to the idea that the, the the c in pmc is for is for class so actually doing a bit of class analysis or a bit of the history of the the relations between um between this group and labor and capital yeah what, good read a bit of a bit of class reductionism even uh, that's what we're doing class reduction 24 no, 7 uh, <laughs> no, <laughs> i don't think so we we've got a you know we're going to be talking about psychology we're going to be talking about culture we're going to be talking about everything all the all the aspects of which uh, you know which yeah. class plays into well class class politics uh yeah, class analysis encompasses all those things uh, which is what the people who accuse others of class reductionism get wrong but anyway that's another discussion um and maybe we'll even end up touching on that a little later on but um just to say how this is going to work uh, the kind of structure of it so firstly i'm just gonna roll back to the late 70s and relay a bit of what the Aaron Reich's original analysis was um, because it basically talks about the growth of the PMC and the piece that we're discussing here today is about the death of the PMC or at least um, you know it's its decline or, or fragmentation so um, I'm going to do that first secondly we're going to talk about the, the contemporary piece focusing initially on the structural aspects secondly on the kind of cultural and psychological let's call it the sociological aspects and thirdly we're going to be talking about the political aspects basically what are the pmc's politics if any um, and how they relate to socialist politics and liberal politics uh so that and then we're going to deal with uh answer your questions in the last kind of third uh as per usual sounds good well you can't reply but i guess phil and george can say whether that sounds good or not i don't know radio yeah, silence. I think, I think so. <laughs> I think so. Otherwise, 
Well, I'm going to say no, it sounds it sounds terrible, but I'll be here for the whole episode anyway. No, <laughs> sounds good. Okay, so um, let's roll back then. Um, so Darren Reich's piece, in fact, it, there's two pieces published in a journal called Radical America, um, and there are two essays, one published, uh, in, you know, published in subsequent issues in 1976, 77, um, you know, after about a decade of the new left being a, a, a kind of, well, more than that, um, being uh, an important factor in American life, um, and and actually, George, if you want to jump in on any comments on the new left, is this is something that you've studied quite a bit, um, feel free to do so to kind of add some extra elements to what I'm about to say. Um, but anyway, so the Aaron Reich start off with the observation of not just of middle class radicalism as a factor, but that the U.S. left is de facto middle class, which is quite a statement. Um, but they also note that middle class means a whole bunch of things, especially in the U.S., where it can be taken to mean respectable working class all the way up to kind of manager, but not super wealthy. So um, they set about to discover what exactly is this middle class that has grown. Um, they they relate to other Marxist analyses, which have tended to be dogmatically wedded to an idea of two classes, two competing classes labor and capital. And then you also get the petty bourgeoisie, you know, the kind of small uh, independent farmers, uh, some independent professionals like a doctor who has his own, um, what do you call it, doctor's office or a lawyer who has his own practice. Um, but that petty bourgeoisie is kind of a, a residuum of, of a previous phase of, of, of development. And that basically you have labor and capital facing off. And then, and therefore, the treatment of what is the professional managerial class, what the, this middle class, um, is often treated by by kind of previous generations of Marxists as um, something they try to resolve into those other categories, right? So they go, oh, well, the middle class actually, they're actually really workers, or they're actually petty bourgeoisie or whatever. And the Aaron Rice argue that, no, there's something really distinctive happening here, and this is a new class that has emerged, a third class. Um, with its own kind of perspectives and formation and structure and role um, and antagonisms in uh, in capitalist class society. Um, so they one way of kind of dealing with this is that they look at kind of, uh, or rather one of the things in the literature they refer to is that both Andre Gortz and uh, Nico Polanzas had looked at the difference between productive and reproductive workers. That is, that the latter would be uh, mainly technical or scientific workers, uh, more educated, um, who pro- whose role is uh, reproducing capitalist society. So they're not involved in direct production, but they're involved in reproducing class society, often through um, forms of disciplining workers, for example, or providing the knowledge with which production can happen. But they... Yeah. So, um, but to, to move on then to what the what the PMC is and what the Ehrenreichs argue is that um, so they take this idea of reproduction and say that that's quite important, right? So the, the, what the PMC is it's a class specializing in the maintenance of capitalist class relationships. Um, and I mean, I'm just adding this, but it, it, as a way to I guess illustrate this, if you think of like an HR manager, anybody who's worked in a kind of large corporation has an HR manager bothering them. Think what the HR manager does they pretend to be your friend as a worker but they're obviously representing the interests of the owners of the capitalists um and the, the hr manager doesn't want class war they don't like the capitalists being too aggressive but they also don't want the workers to rise up they basically want harmony to be maintained and that's their role and that 
but that, that figure of the HR manager, I guess if you keep that uh, in your head, that kind of sums up a little bit of what the PMC is. Um, that's just my take on it, but I think it, it's maybe a helpful illustration. Um, so basically, how does the PMC rise? How does it come about? You basically have an expansion of the state, like at the local level or at the national level, um, in various public services, you know, through the course of the 20th century. Um, services grow and charity is institutionalized. So if you think today in terms of nonprofits or non-governmental organizations. Um, but um, the, 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 so the, and this growth of these sectors of, of, of not just of the economy, but also of the state um, have a role in reproducing capitalist relationships. Often, like their role in guaranteeing order, and this is a nice kind of contrast that the Aaron Rice draw out in that original piece, professionals rather than Pinkertons might be more useful in maintaining order and in disciplining workers, right? So you don't need mm-hmm. necessarily private police forces going and smashing workers. What you want is professionals smoothing things over, let's say. And again, the HR manager I've made reference to is probably a good example of, uh, of the professional rather than the Pinkerton, if you see what I mean. Yeah, it's, it's, it's def- definitely worth, I think, emphasizing that, that it's the maintenance of capitalist class relations, not through force, not through coercion but through uh, consent and various ways of, of governing um, in society and in, in um, corporations as well yeah yeah exactly um, but now to turn to a little bit of the politics that they hint at in in those pieces is that there's a certain strain of anti-capitalism that emerges among sections of the PMC because the PMCs are fundamentally guided by professionalism now professionalism uh, here would mean um, a certain ethic, right? Certain belief in autonomy of their professions, um, and a belief in rationality, right? And and the PMCs will look at the capitalists and go, well, you guys are cruel and irrational, and really we should be in charge because we're smart, we're educated, we have the technical knowledge, and we have a certain more caring, paternalistic relationship with regard to the workers. We we don't want some horrible class conflict um, of of capitalists oppressing workers or of workers revolting. We want things to be managed. And so they, the PMCs think that they should be in charge. And therefore, there's a kind of certain anti-capitalist element. There's an antagonism with capital because they think, well, hang on, these guys are these guys who own everything are assholes and we should be um, ruling things in a more sensible way, right? Now you can, you can think of like loads of examples of that uh, today. Um, so just to, just to round this off, uh, before we turn to the... Uh, the, the contemporary piece, um, well, yeah, the piece from 2013, and, and I let Phil and George talk, uh, so I stopped talking for so much. But, um, but the, the point about, uh, is that, about that the Ehrenreichs made in the late 70s was that the new left really gave voice uh, to this section of, um, of society, that the PMC was even de facto the left. Um, and that's a very important development, which... Um, which I think, which really distinguished the new left from the old left um, and carried through certain different conceptions of society, different viewpoints, uh, which really distinguished it from the old industrial working class based left of the, you know, late 19th century, early 20th century. Um, Okay, so I'll leave that there and pass on to you guys. Yeah, I think your your account of the, um, the outlook of the PMC being that capitalists are irrational and cruel i think that's quite a nice way to to frame it um because on the one hand you have a critique based on professionalism on kind of universal 
expertise or like here's here's a better way to run society um, and that obviously corresponds quite closely to the the p of the pmc but there's also um and the m as well probably but professionalism as part of the outlook is certainly there but also um a kind of moral position or moral outlook which is around the cruelty of capitalist relations the cruelty of capitalist society and that i think that's a really kind of interesting um aspect of PMC outlook as Aaron Reich's kind of deal with it because it does then go into ideas of paternalism, charity, um, and then raise some questions around interests which are not around that credential. Like credentialization would be the interest which which relates to professionalism, but I think it's more about control if you're looking um, at what the interest relating to paternalism would be. Yeah, and let me just jump in before Phil says something just because to elaborate on that. The Aaron Rice in the 70s put it quite clearly. They, they say that their relationship, that, that the three kind of pillars of professionalism, that is specialized knowledge and learning, uh, ethics and autonomy, all of those are combined in benign domination. So that's what they call the relationship that the PMC has to their clients. Now, their clients could be students, right? So an academic and the, and the, and the student or a teacher and a, and a school pupil um, or a doctor's relationship to a patient and so on, or indeed, you know, in any service industry as well. And so it's benign domination is, is the way they, they see it. Um, and their role being in doing that, you know, to, to kind of reform and rationalize capitalism. That's their, that's what the PMC's role is. Phil. Yeah. I mean, I, it's uh, it's useful to have that set up. And I mean, the piece that we're talking about, um, the more recent piece kind of bookends the earlier one, or they're both bookends of a particular trajectory, I think, which is the rise and fall of this particular kind of slice of the social strata within highly developed industrialized and post-industrialized economies. Um, the qualification, I suppose, I'd put to it is also it's not just this kind of um, intermediary layer that arises between workers and and capitalists as per um, the HR manager, but that also um, the capitalists themselves look very different because the owners, the investment class, won't be the people who were um, by the 19th century model would be kind of um, directly overseeing the process. You know, there'll be um, coupon clippers or there'll be um, owners of various, they'll have financial assets um, and they'll be at a remote distance from the process of um, of uh, kind of controlling and supervising the labor process. So it's a, it's a restructuring also of what capital looks like as well, I think is also part of this. Um, I mean, it's not what we're talking about directly, but I think it's an important background element to bear in mind when thinking about the rise of this particular middle-class element but um well, let's move on to the 2013 piece i think yeah I, I mean just just to to start with with the title i thought it was quite a, a striking idea of the the yuppie dream and i was actually trying to think what like what is or what was the yuppie dream um i think there is there are certain things which are captured quite well in the piece around this kind of technocratic world where the people who have the um privileged expertise are are well rewarded and have high status but i think there's also another element of the yuppie dream which i don't think comes through quite as, as strongly in the piece um which is that there is some kind of geographical removal from from the working class or from from the nation there's a kind of embarrassment about about working class people which i think is part of the yuppie kind of self-image i might i might be reading too much in into this um from maybe from the british context but 
yeah i think it's it's not the the piece doesn't cover that quite as as strongly that kind of final aspect about how the the pmc's always had this really um this uh, attitude of aversion towards towards the working class well, yeah, I mean, I guess we'll come on to that because I think there's also a lot of paternalism mixed in with that. Um, but I think maybe if we, Phil, maybe if you want to count, because I, I, in my reading of uh, the 70s pieces, uh, they talk about the rise of the PMC, how it came about. Um, and in this piece, uh, they talk about how the PMC has been put under pressure, how, how it's declined or how it's split in half. Uh, so, Phil, maybe you want to talk about that. Yeah, so it's... Um useful because it talks about the kind of structural changes that have happened um and there is so they um you know they talk about how the pmc kind of has always tried to uh, defend itself and to essentially monopolize the um provision of its own services through effectively creating guild style um guild style organizations in the form of professional associations credentialization um and membership in which they begin, in which they can kind of control the reproduction of themselves, and the story told in the 2013. I mean, well, they tell this story in the 2013 piece, but they say what's happened more recently is that these processes of reproduction are beginning to break down. Um, and there's a number. I mean, so it's a really excellent piece in terms of um, just putting together all the kind of this panoramic survey of these kind of various. Um, processes and giving the data in order to illustrate those processes at work so one of the things that so one of the trends that's happened which causes this inability to reproduce itself is the fact that it's um they've been kind of um reintegrated just by the sheer scale of capitalist development the scale on which it happens the technological changes that it ushers in that independent professionalism has been systematically eroded and so they give the cases of um uh, where you had previously, say, lawyers working for themselves and doctors working for themselves, physicians, that is to say, both of them have been incorporated into larger organizations, more corporate organizations, in which, say, lawyers who once would have had kind of their own um, small scale individual service, they now um, have to work as um, as junior partners in larger firms dominated by senior partners who will be managers and controllers. And similarly with doctors, the need to gain access to and um, supervise various kinds of new technological, um, uh, you know, new medical technologies, they mention MRIs, require is effectively meant that doctors have been integrated into hospitals, which again, large kind of bureaucratic corporate organizations. And so they talk through, it's these kinds of processes of concentration of um, economies of scale linked to new technologies um, and process and just kind of the sheer kind of scale that is um, part of um, industrial capitalism means that these um, professional um, and otherwise dispersed forms of um, PMC self-organization have gradually become eroded. And the other way in which they're squeezed is that they're the way in which they've traditionally established themselves, which is to say through education, is also being cut off to them because, uh, edu- the cost of education have risen dramatically more than the inflation in the rest of the economy, making it more difficult to um, effectively uh, making it more difficult for their children to secure the education, um, which allows them to enter the PMC with with without great financial debt, as well as the greater competition because everyone has been funneled into universities. Yeah, so, the the, the, yeah, the greater competition. No, I just. 
we definitely get to the the effects of the greater competition and the feeling of downwards um, risk or potential downwards mobility. But I think it's just worth worth repeating a point that you you, you sort of started with, which is that the you know the the, the power or the <clears throat> Yeah, the, the power of, of, of this group comes from its its position mediating production, essentially. So when you see a change in, you know, the, the broader scale, the way that capital becomes more financialized and less um, less related to manufacturing, this group is feels that loss or is is um, falls as a consequence of this of this change in in production ultimately, although I don't think this is the way it's often experienced. There's a lot of inter- there's a lot of intermediate intermediate steps, um, but ultimately this is the, you know, this is this is the fall that that this um, that this class ends up seeing. I would draw one one extra distinction as well, which is because there's the section of the PMC which is involved with more with managing production, right? So it's not involved in direct production, maybe, but it's um, you know it's as managers and and kind of bureaucrats. Um, but there's also this, the, the, the side of it, which is, I think, what is often discussed when, you know, commonly when you talk about the PMC, which is people who are completely not involved uh, with, with production whatsoever, who are involved in uh, NGOs and academia, you know, media as well. Um, and I think it's important to highlight that that isn't the full extent of the PMC. In fact, uh, in the 70s analysis, the Ehrenreichs point out that, in fact, although people often think about the liberal arts professions, whether it's, you know, an architect or a journalist or whatever, um, that actually accounts for, like, certainly less than half of, of, of the of the full extent of the PMC. Um, I don't know what it would be now, um, and, I, and they don't really make direct reference to it in, the, in, this, uh, in this piece, but, I mean, maybe that's something worth considering but um just just to make one reference to something in the in those in the 70s analysis um which is that they they note that there's a seeming antagonism between two different sections of the pmc right between managers administrators and engineers on the one hand and the liberal arts and service professions on the other so you know on the the latter half would be an academic or a someone who works in marketing um and the other side would be kind of a, a engineer more involved in kind of industrial production or a kind of middle manager um and you know the middle manager or engineer would be more hard-headed, more kind of, let's say, pro-capitalist, uh, whereas the people working in the universities, NGOs, and the media would be more antagonistic to, to capital. But, and this is important, the, the Aaron Ice point out then that that antagonism is grossly overstated because the PMC as a whole has a very similar kind of internal life, the same anxieties about falling down, uh, raising their children to be able to go to university to get the degree to then get the same kind of job. The same, Those same anxieties about uh, its ability to reproduce itself as a class are felt across the PMC, even though there might be certain political distinctions within it. Okay, so maybe we should move on now to the more kind of sociological um, and indeed, maybe psychological aspects of of the PMC. Um, what do we see as the kind of key key features of it today, especially as it's kind of under strain, as as we've discussed. Like specific, so specifically, they make they make reference to the PMC uh, defending liberal values like learning, expertise, ethics, independence, which are the positive yeah. aspects of the PMC. Yeah, but I I think I think they're not so much liberal values as the values which are um in the interests of this particular group i made the point about credentialization earlier and they are all they are all in their material interest i think it's not a disinterested defense of these um of these particular values so that's definitely part of the psychology um of of this 
of this group i think there's uh so in the um it's not in the actual essay itself it's in the introduction there's this idea of um <clears throat> a promise being broken there's a kind of implicit promise which is right at the center of of meritocratic societies if you work hard get education you will ascend to or remain in the middle class and i think that we hear narratives of betrayal um around i think right-wing movements much more but there is a real there is a real sense of here was a social contract for a certain group or a certain stratum of society and it does it doesn't really hold anymore and and that is a um i think an important part of the psychology because it does seem you know it does seem like things have things have changed without without this group being consulted Yeah, no, and there's a. I think they make it quite clear what the shifting relationship is there because the Emirates say, you know, th- those are the college degree and the PMC used to be coextensive, and no, now they no longer are. I.e., there's many people with college degrees who now no longer have ingress into the PMC, um, and that is pro- probably one of the arguments also for all the kind of anti-boomer generational warfare stuff, which is uh, basically. People who are children of the PMC, who became maybe became PMC in the 60s or 70s, their kids now uh, aren't able to have access to the to the same not only the same standard of living, but even to remain part of that class. No, so it's, I think it's, it's an interesting point. They they reference um, Bowles and Gintis schooling in capitalist America, which is a which is a, a really um, a really good book, and the, the basic idea there is that in any meritocratic society. You need an education system that does does two things: reproduces inequality and legitimates it. And I think there's, you know, that's um, quite central to the to the the reproduction process of of you know what does a credentialized class do when it's credentialized? It reproduces itself. Um, so yeah, you saw I think in an, at an earlier, probably an earlier phase, the interest of of science, as as the Aaron Reichs put it, being quite um, quite clearly sort of part of the of the self-presentation or the outlook of, of this of this class but actually i don't think the the pmc today tends to present itself in terms of of um that you know self-conscious here's here's some, well maybe some in some context this this isn't true but here's the science here's the like the you know here's our credentials Fuck that, I, I isn't that, that exactly what it does that it that it defends um, you know, you had like the March for Science in the UK a little while ago, and it's the biggest defender of technocracy. I mean, it's from that, you know, 15 to 25 percent of society that draws the biggest support for kind of technocratic modes of rule. No. Yeah, but without being necessarily all scientists. <laughs> um, no, of course, no, of course. I... But but it's a, it's that it's that like holding to that idea of of independent, you know, certified knowledge right um yeah which they themselves have had to go through through getting college degrees and whatever as well as in in performing their roles um in you know in in labor yeah no 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 general kind of general interest um abstracted kind of superior forms of of knowledge and of um ways of structuring society yeah definitely part of the, the outlook of the pmc Phil, anything you wanted to add on on the kind of sociology of it before we move on to the politics? Not particularly. I mean, I suppose the one thing they do draw attention to is the, as they put it in their words, it's, you know, they've ended up kind of creating a trap for themselves by the fact that the 
the very their own the very growth of the PMC um, has led to processes that undermine their own dominance. And they use the specific example of the universities. So part of the you know the condition of kind of um, the PMC reproducing itself is access to higher education, which is you know affordable and um, uh, would retain its kind of value as distinguishing you from others within the labor force. But at the same time, as the PMC expands, it enters the, you know, expands the costs of the university with larger administrative layers, larger bureaucracies that need to be paid for in services, um, which in turn kind of uh, enhance the costs. And so you end up in this vicious, vicious spiral. Um, that was one vicious. I was, um, I didn't mean to say it was vicious, vicious, just a vicious spiral. But the <laughs> logic of it is that it undermine, you know, so the PMC kind of, um, uh, spill over, you know, their own kind of natural growth. They spill over their own natural growth, and as they've expa- over expanded, they begin to collapse again. Yeah. So, turning to sounds the... a bit Malthusian <laughs> the way you you put it there. There's only so many flies, PMC flies that can survive in the in the jar. Well, I mean, I guess this is the point about the PMC becoming threatened by neoliberalism basically um, which is you know cutting public services so you don't have a, a role in the state for example in, in, in you know providing services um, as well as you know they, they make reference in the piece to the idea of defunding the left right that like neoliberals and neoconservatives uh, through the 2000s attacked kind of the academy NGOs and whatever as a way of kind of trying to limit the influence of, uh, of the PMC Right and, and and the values that they brought forward, um, but I guess today the question is okay. So what are the PMC's politics today? We've discussed a, a, a number of times on this podcast uh, about how the PMC supported you know left populism, how it supported Bernie Sanders, Corbyn, um, and how policies like you know free education um, and help with housing all appeal to uh, to to a PMC that's uh, that's falling. Um, how, how do we read the, the PMC's politics? If we can speak of a, of a singular PMC, what are its politics today? Well, I mean, their prediction is very clearly so that let me quote from the end of the piece. In the coming years, we expect to see the remnants of the PMC increasingly making common cause with the remnants of the traditional working class for the minimum representation of the political process. This is the project of the Occupy Mo- This is the project that the Occupy movement initiated and spread for a time anyway worldwide. Um and I mean, that's exactly the alliance that we, you know, haven't seen because insofar as the, you know, I mean, the traditional kind of working class is peeling off to national populism, Trumpism of, um, div, you know, kind of various varieties, whereas the PMC has, um, uh, you know, a kind of the probably its most, um, I suppose, uh, you know, its political and um, most la- or largest kind of rump and political, cultural, intellectual aspects of it or the politically articulate aspects of it have plumped for left populism um, and in the fringes even kind of radical left um, you know politics of various kinds so that is that'll you know that prediction has um, has not born has not been borne out and instead what we're seeing with the politics of the PMC and this is very evident in um, the black lives matter movement I think particularly outside the US is that they're um, posing as protectors, effectively, of um, ethnic minorities and immigrant communities in ur- urban inner cities. 
So um, they're opposing, you know, they're basically their political pitch is that we'll protect you from the racists in the smaller towns. Um, we'll protect you from the kind of proto-fascism of the so-called white working class who are all kind you know, encircled the inner cities and their suburbs and um, coastal communities and the rest of it. And, and that's, you know, essentially the electoral coalition, which um, liberal left parties such as the Labour Party in the UK um, and their equivalents elsewhere in Europe are being forced into relying on inner city ethnic and immigrant communities and um, the hipsters, essentially, which is to say the left, you know, left rump of the PMC. So that's the alliance that's taking form. It's not an alliance with, um, you know, in terms of the ballot box, at least that's the electoral alliance. And also, I think it's the political it can be seen in the political ideologies and the kind of grievances and political um, issues that dominate on the PMC. Um, so, you know, cultural and symbolic politics, for instance. Yeah, I think the really interesting question, though, is to kind of take a step back and, and say, right, after left populism, what what is the sort of um, political expression of how could we ca- um, characterize the sort of political expression that we will see of, of PMC interests? And I think the, you know, to go back to this idea that we talked about previously, this one of kind of benign domination, um, this, I think that you can see a scenario where after left populism, you have this situation of the um, the left or the liberal left, as, as Phil was, was describing it, having a political outlook, which is characterized by, on the one hand, a, um, a, a te- um, kind of commitment to technocracy, and on the other hand, a kind of charitable impulse so you see a kind of weird technocratic do-gooderism as as matt thompson put put it or a kind of progressive technocracy so on the one hand a kind of um a, a doubling down on i guess sort forms of knowledge and and <clears throat> in general kind of privileged modes of of um, addressing politics based on knowledge based on professionalism and on the other hand that kind of paternalistic um approach particularly to you know phil said um immigrant immigrant populations and ethnic minorities but i think working class people also i think you could definitely see a a formulation which brings these two things together um which could emerge um in the next sort of maybe five years and that could follow after left populism yeah, right. And I, I mean, I think one one other aspect about the politics is the PMC's defensiveness. Um, I mean, obviously, it is, uh, I guess, maybe not necessarily, uh, I guess it's under under two sorts of strain. One, it's under kind of direct attack, often by populists who, you know, we'll talk about, quote unquote, the liberal elite, but obviously, it's not really the elite. It's we're talking about the PMC, um, who um, hear that as a sort of dog whistle and an and attack on them. But it's also you know, threatened as we've discussed by certain um, processes of, of of capitalist development, of automation, of increasingly like even if you're able to maintain a PMC job, it's increasingly bureaucratized, uh, increasingly subject to control by machines, maybe who oversee you. Um, and you know, less autonomy. Less autonomy. Oh, there's talk about like lawyers, for example, like how many paralegals are going to lose their jobs because they're going to automate a lot of the the job, a lot of the work that uh, the paralegals do, right? So something that was always a white collar job might uh, might be lost, right? So I think that defensiveness 
in, in relation to both those threats, I think is quite stark. And it's interesting that the Ehrenreichs ask whether cutting the PMC down to size would actually be a good thing that, you know, they might end up being a little bit less smug and self-satisfied. Um, but I think what we're seeing now, at least, is knobs neoliberal order breakdown syndrome you know so it's not just the the, the elite really the liberal elite who uh, are you know have knobs but uh, but large sections of the PMC as well um, in, in, you know in feeling threatened they have a kind of hysterical sort of reaction to populists saying uh, you know that basically you know calling calling bullshit on expertise for just to take mm. the, probably the most obvious example just 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 a question that like is is this story about us I don't know if there's a more, it's about you, know, George. A, a, fan, a fancier <laughs> way we could we could put this, um, some some Latin phrase. But I mean, are we PMC? Uh, like, yeah, you guys are is, definitely. Are, is this? But you're you're, you're a Latin university Latin. lecturer. How uh, how are you not a member of the professional managerial class? Because I don't identify with their politics. Well, that can doesn't. You, that yeah. Can you identify your way out of um, your class interests? I self. I do not self identify as PMC. Okay. <laughs> anyway, well, <laughs> I, I think I, I think there's one extra element here. It's specifically in relation to uh, you know whether you self-identify and whatever is precisely that the PMC tend to mystify class relations by per, uh, by putting forward what they what they want as sort of imp- an impartial sort of good. It's not about their own interests. They they disguise their own interests. Um, I think that's one of the key insights as well that the Aaron Reichs make nobody nobody is conscious as as having class interests politically I mean I think that's universal it's not something which is specific to them but I think that I think it's the age in which the PMC become maybe dominant in creating culture as has been the case you know now for the past 30 years um, that it's in that kind of end of history society that you know, class uh, class antagonisms are, are obscured to the greatest extent possible. I mean, also related to the fact that, you know, the working class itself is disorganized and so on. Mm. Yeah, I, I mean, mean, I I, I think I, re- I recognize quite clearly I'm a, I'm a member of the PMC. So this whole episode has been a, a personal attack on me, including by myself. Um, no, I think it's it is it is worth particularly in the context of this becoming a, a you know essentially a slur pmc um i think it is worth it's worth realizing that some of these things apply to to us our our you know our colleagues our our work situation is may, may well bear some of these um some of these traits indeed uh, should we move to on to the questions for this last section yes um Okay, so firstly, again, just selecting kind of at random from the questions that we've got and condensing and synthesizing them um, and not reading them out as a whole. I hope you'll excuse us that, but um, just as a means of kind of joining things up. Um, the, the first question um, relates to the left relationship to the PMC. So, you know, about the distinction between the left being disproportionately PMC and the left representing PMC class interests. So, um, and, and they, the, one of the questions draws uh, or gives an example to illustrate this. So that a common problem in academic unions in the US uh, is that the leadership decides to spend their time on activist causes rather than anything that the majority of the members care about. So they don't represent the PMC's kind of corporate interests, class interests, but that they end up pursuing politics that are of interest to the PMC. 
right? So the kind of maybe liberal identity politics would be one example, but but not not exclusive to that. Um, so I guess the, the, just to repeat the question, um, you know, does does uh, does the left just rep- is it just is the left just made up of PMC or does it actually represent PMC class interests? It's a good question. I mean, I think there's the the point about the weakness of un- of unions, even in PMC professions in in general, is a, is a well made one in in the question. I mean, personally, I think this is there's a there's a possibility. That, that we're going to see um, <clears throat> the left representing PMC class interests. I think this this would be one potential route. It is what's the, happening. It's not. The, it's not the, what the left will take after left populism. Yeah, not what it might do, but it is what has been happening, is happening, and will happen. I mean, it's not like a, as if we're on the brink of something new happening here. That is what's happened. I mean, and that's why left populism has crumpled, and why the left is um, self-absorbed in all of its miasma at the moment yeah i mean i the the point about representing it pmc class interests is that it doesn't do it nakedly right it doesn't it, it doesn't say like we want um certain changes in the economy so that we make sure that academics are well paid enough or that uh you know that, that journalists still have jobs or whatever it doesn't it doesn't um it doesn't speak its class interest nakedly. It puts it in other terms, right? About the good for society that that it, that would be needed, you know. To well, inhabit, but you know, there is a good, but there is a good for society in terms of um, having, you know, professions, um, yeah. journalism, uh, medicine, um, law, architecture, whatever the academy, no less, you know, um, that are able to effectively articulate their role to the rest of society, but they're unable to i mean the pmc is unable to articulate its interests in ways that in which they justify themselves with relation to a universal good or um how they fit into it well, so the picture yeah, i then, think is more complicated and uh, okay no i was just going to say if you're sort of saying that the left is equivalent to pmc class interest but it doesn't seem that way i don't think the defense of of autonomous professionalism um by many left liberal parties is is particularly that strong the the kind no, it's of not. That's what I'm saying. occupation yeah. yeah yeah so it's i mean i think it there's there you you could see a situation where this um is more clearly expressed but i don't think there could ever be an an overt call you know if you're if you're part of the pmc come you know this is the party for you because that would not be you can't really see that being electorally majoritarian yeah, and I mean, also Phil's point about what the PMC does defend, because supposedly the PMC defends liberal values, right? And and these are good things, you know, I don't want to be snide about them, but, you know, about knowledge, expertise, uh, ethics, professionalism, independence, like all good things. Um, I suppose. But, but well, my question, do... sorry, let me just, just, just to finish, but I wonder whether the kind of postmodernized PMC even does that anymore, because it's undermined those liberal values so much. I think, you know, and it undermines uh, enlightenment values, even undermining the notion of that there might be truth or something, you know. Um, yeah. So I, I guess I, I guess there might be a self undermining aspect there. Yeah. I mean, but it's also that they're um, they the way in which they, you know, I mean, it is a very I suppose you could say it's a very classic example of um, ideology in which the way in which they articulate universal interests serves to mask their own particular interests. So they don't justify their, they don't have a kind of a rational, clear sense 
of how their particular interests lock into a wider interest, but rather make grandiloquent claims about, I don't know, um, you know, say, um, the way in which, say, the health profession has become absorbed within um, public health campaigns that are effectively about social control to a greater or lesser degree. Or the way in which, say, uh, academics are so deeply compromised by how they justify, um, you know, how they kind of make universal claims, say, about, um, I mean, you know, at the moment, I suppose, the need to decolonize the racist and imperial structures of Western societies. So they make kind of universal claims that are that effectively disguise their underlying interest, but also obfuscate what would actually be genuine kind of social improvement and and um, undermine and undermine their position because as you uh, so made, doing, made a point yeah. recently i think that you know ac- with academics saying you know our our universities are racist institutions and then having to ask for funding uh you know yeah. that doesn't work yes yeah. or it shouldn't do at least anyway yeah Okay, so uh, another kind of question, I think it's an interesting point, and I don't know if we'll have too much to say on it, but it's just that um, whether there's a kind of dis- difference between uh, the PMC that's an agent of capital that performs a role in disciplining labor, um, in, in also making sure that capital soci- capitalist society can reproduce itself, and those are that are more di- directly related uh, to, to production. Um, but, and, but related to that uh, is the idea that there's a kind of... Um, that it's very difficult because of a lot of subcontracting and outsourcing for there to actually be even solidarity within the PMC um, because there's different levels of, of management and uh, different services are nested within one another, all subcontracted out, um, which I think is an interesting observation. I don't know if we have anything to add on that specifically. Uh, if not, then uh, Phil. The question I wanted to draw out from, um, so I mean, we had uh, quite a few and um, the one that I wanted to draw out was, um, so harking back to an episode we recently had with Angela Nagel, um, and she made the point that PMC activists um, effectively use the um, working class, they kind of draw the working class in as a stage army to fight their own intra-elite conflicts. And this has been one of Nagel's kind of core analytical points, is that what we're seeing in many ways are intra-elite conflicts of various kinds that kind of crisscross um, the PMC. And um, uh, the question from the listener was uh, whether the PMC can act in solidarity with other working people or whether it will always be, whether its own narrow interests will always determine its behavior. And I suppose the, uh, it's a tricky, it's a a tough question. And I guess my answer would be that I think if, the, insofar as the PMC are unable to articulate their interests as professionals, um, but instead dissolve, attempt to kind of um, dissolve their interests into effectively ideological claims of general scope and sweep. So, for instance, um, refusing to defend the fact that, uh, I mean, to use my to use the example of my own uh, my own example, to make grand claims for. Um, the academy without defending the specific professional culture and institutions that are necessary in order for the academy to exist, then it's impossible to construct any kind of meaningful politics, which would be the basis for any kind of meaningful solidarity or alliance with other groups in society, let alone an organized popular bloc or an organized working class movement. Um, 
And I think that's the main problem. So it's the way in which these interests are understood and articulated. Um, so instead of saying, you know, we're, um, you know, the logical steps for me, it seems to be taking the example of academics again would be to say we're academics. And if you want to have the services that we can provide as academics, then these are the things that we need. Um, you know, kind of pub properly publicly funded universities for the sake of research and teaching, the defense, robust defense of academic freedom and other things as well. Um, you know, the kind of willingness to teach independently. Anyway, I mean, pe you know, I'm sure yeah. listeners can work it out for themselves. That would be the way in which to construct a kind of a meaningful set of cross-cutting um, bases for solidarity and engagement with other social groups. And instead, the the academy claims, um, you know, instead, or many kind of left-wing academics will claim to be um, abject, you know, kind of oppressed, in solidarity with um, the most kind of vulnerable and marginalized groups, whether that be, you know, landless kind of laborers or peasants in the Amazon to defending the kind of the plight of um, the Palestinians under the boot of the Israelis. And so the claims, you know, the kind of the general claims that they make in no way connect with the actual structure of the profession or indeed the structure of their own societies. As George said earlier, they kind of they make grand inflated claims at the cosmopolitan and global level is um, how their politics are general, you know, how they make kind of more sweeping claims. So they're unable to defend themselves in any kind of meaningful way. I think that's really well put. Um, I think the only thing yeah. I would add to this is just that, the, you know, the fact that, lay, you know, labor organizations and, uh, and, and left-wing parties are so dominated by the PMC, it's not even a question of, it, the PMC effectively have ownership of, those organizations. So it's not that members of the PMC can play a supporting role in, in organizations which are made up of a majority of the working class. You know, the, the relationship's completely inverted. Um, and if you look at the electoral bases of, of left-wing parties, that's very much the case. So it, it's very hard for them also to um, subordinate their class interests to working class interests. Um, and they try to read off, I think, working class interests from their own ones, which are not the same. Yeah, I mean, the, um, in my experience of of, of left wing organisations in in Britain, it, it has, you know, it hasn't been posed in so in in such stark terms. But the basic struggles have been between essentially PMC and working class aspects of of those organisations, and the the former have have won um, won out recently. And I think it's a it's a it's a real it's it's one of the challenges currently facing facing the left is how to whether it's even possible to have to have the working class to have the PMC subordinate to the working class aspects of of left wing organisations rather than than vice versa. I mean, the, there's a one of the questions we had asked about what would be the psychological effects of such a political subordination. I mean, that's a you know that's a, a really challenging question because. The recent history, the kind of end of history period, the PMC um, operators within political organisations had things very much their own way. They were definitely in in the ascendancy. They know, you know, for example, know know the rules, know the the the, the kind of the way to do things in the, the processes. All of that kind of technical expertise plays plays right into their hands, at least, at least in my experience. Um, and it's, you know, that, I, I mean, I think it's an open question as to whether we can have a set of in the in the near future, have a set of left organizations where 
working class is is politically superordinate to the PMC. Um, George, you want to take this uh, last question that we wanted to discuss here? Oh yeah, this is a good question. Um, so yeah, I'll, I'll I'll read it out because I think it, it's, it's worth reading. Um, the authors argued that the PMC created a trap for itself by navigating neoliberal reforms through heavy investment in their children, education and and um, credentialization, so on and so forth. Um, what was the alternative here, though, both for the parents and the children? Class suicide, getting a blue collar job, and role playing as a dropout. So yeah, what's what should what should PMC? Um, I mean, quite a few of them did role do. players drop. Phil, you dropped out right as you were saying drop out. <laughs> that was it. That was the point. It was a performative <laughs> that, was, drop that was good. Yeah, I like that. I'm going to keep that in. Um, it was a mic drop, but you're on mute when you did the mic drop. So we didn't hear it. Um, I, I Yeah. Just to, just to address this, I mean, I think, you know, class suicide. No, I mean, I think the problem is is to stop stop role playing and i think this relates to phil's comment it's like no okay you are middle class you um have this role in society okay but if you want to be progressive then um and you think that your job has some worth you know then then defend your corporate interests nakedly as it were um without all the ideological obfuscations um I, I think it's notable that the middle class, the old middle class, um, when the PMC was much smaller and the middle class was made up more of independent professionals, was far more conservative. It was far more, um, it, it, you know, it, it, it assumed its position in society um, as being above the working class and often was condescending towards the working class and, and largely kind of set itself in opposition to it. It was kind of reactionary. I mean, I only have to think about what the middle class is like in Brazil that, that to, to imagine that. Um and I guess, was that a better situation? Maybe, maybe because then it wouldn't, I guess it wouldn't do this kind of role playing. Um, it would just nakedly say, well, you know, we, we defend morality and order and, uh, you know, tradition. And that's that. So the solution is less ideology. <laughs> yes. Yes. No ideology, please. <laughs> um, is there any last point here that we want to, that we want to draw out? Um, I have one little comment. No, no. I think you should. You should. Uh, you, no, you, you, you propose the reading, so you get the you get the last word. Also, okay. as the uh, editor, you 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 always get the D. Come back to the last word if you want to. All right. So uh, the only thing I was going to say is that as the PMC comes under ever greater pressure, both in terms of within work of bureaucratization, loss of autonomy, as well as actually not have, no longer having access to jobs that were previously created, um, and that the PMC is kind of bifurcated, as, as Darren Rex described, that one section kind of moves upwards and even becomes part of the ruling class at the very lowest level, um, and then a large swathe of it gets increasingly proletarianized. Um, I guess that would be maybe a bit hopeful in that, uh, as Darren Rex suggests, it might become less smug um, and maybe assume its its uh its position more um more clear-sightedly and understanding where where it actually lies and, and on what side its uh bread is buttered <laughs> i guess um but yeah we can hope all right uh that's it for this reading club uh let us know what you thought always you always welcome uh, to get in touch and ask uh, additional questions post comments and of course if you have anything that you think we should be discussing um in future editions of this reading club next one will be in a month's time uh, do let us know as well uh otherwise that's it for now catch you later Bye bye